Yo. <laughs> yo, Alex Simmons. Yo, what's up? Yo, yo. You there, Alex Simmons? It's me, Chris Ryan. What's up, bro? You there? I, I, I can see him through the peephole. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Is that you, Chris? Is that Come you? Come on, bro. Let yeah, okay, in, bro. Let, let me, me, let me let take me the in. locks off. It's cold out here, bro. It's cold. Let me in. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Alex Simmons. Yeah, it's cold outside. Right. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to tell the damn story? Let's let's tell that story. This story yeah. in this week. This week, by the way, hey everybody, Chris and I are having fun saying hello. Good day to everybody out there. I don't yes. know what time oh, you're listening, right? I don't know what time. Good but day, good time night, good afternoon. Yep. Hey, whatever, tea time, whatever works for you. Absolutely. And I find it fun, you know, Chris, I don't think we mention this too often, but, you know, we, we're actually being listened to by folks in other countries, too. So, you know, bonjour, you know, jumbo. Um, uh, cheers. <laughs> yeah, cheers, buenos dias, uh, tardes, not, you know, noches, all these things. Um, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Uh, we've had uh, quite an interesting run over the past few episodes in particular and we had a well, this is this is episode 112 that's right which some people would call a baker's dozen that is a ginger baker's dozen okay thanks folks it's been a great <laughs> afternoon <laughs> go outside play ball <laughs> 112 though bro 112 yeah, that's pretty good and they said it could, no they never said that anyway <laughs> Um, actually, no, it's funny because we're, we're t- this week, this episode, uh, we are going to talk about some of the, um, the naysayer moments in a writer's life. I mean, we, we've been doing a lot of episodes, folks, and we've had some fun stuff and we had some uplifting stuff. And we've also, you know, from Chris, from David Walker, from a few other writers, we've talked about the troubling times. And I don't think that you can really talk about those topics too much because as writers every time we go to the table every time we go to the keyboard we pick up a pen we pick up a pad and we start to take on a book project or a screenplay or or a stage play or whatever it is that story that we're trying to tell we're calling on ourselves we're calling on all the good all the confused all the messed up elements of who we are and we're saying okay let's 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 get this done let me just move through it all and get this done and, you know, that means that the whole ball of wax comes right to the table and you've got to be able to navigate that. So, you know, it's great when you're elated and motivated and, and the words are coming and everything's flowing. But there's also that that middle ground or that that pothole or that that speed bump that you're going to encounter at some point. And knowing that others are going through this and knowing how to deal with it is a useful tool. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I had said to Chris uh, via our various means of communication, I'd said that um, I had I an believe in- it was carrier pigeon. Yes, yeah, yeah, and I've still got to clean off my jacket. Uh, <laughs> um, that I had a student come to me uh, recently and was very distressed, um, very, very bummed out. And it was, um, I'll tell you what he said in a moment, but it reminded me also of another student of mine some years ago who was dealing with me as a uh, comic book student. He was learning to uh, create, write, and draw comics. But it was almost the exact same problem. So you're looking at, at pretty much a 15-year timetable or, or distance between these two people. But it was the same problem. 
this student who came to me recently, you know, has had this idea he'd been living with and enjoying. It's a concept, and he wanted to he wanted to write this story and really get it out there as, as you know as a major project for him. And we'd been working on it um, for several weeks, and then he encountered out there in the world. He encountered uh, someone else's work that seemed very similar to his. And no, this is not, oh, somebody ripped him off. No. This was him feeling, oh, damn, this idea that I've been living with, that I put you know, so much feeling and guts and imagination and everything into, that I really was connected to and committed to, somebody's already done it. So what does that mean about me? What, you know, what have I got left? Where do, where do I go with this? You know? And like I said, two different students, 15 years apart, same situation. And Lord knows I've encountered this feeling at times myself. And Chris, I don't know, I'm going to throw the, throw the baton to you and mm-hmm. say, have you ever encountered this as well? Well, yeah. I mean, um, as we have uh made note of way too many times on this show, I am in the process of rewriting uh, my first novel, uh, City of Woe. And when we first put it out, call it a, um, now I, I, I'm, I'm referring to it now in my head as a test market. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. It's out there as a test market. Okay. Um, because the changes are so much. But uh, when it was first out there, and available, uh, it got um, somewhere between a dozen and two dozen reviews. I think it was closer to two dozen. Um, and most of them were overwhelmingly positive and, you know, excited. It was a, pad, a lot of the page turner and, you know, you kept me up. I, I, I had to read it in one sitting and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are always great compliments. And, you know, I'm walking around feeling great, feeling like a writer and all that sort of stuff. And um, and someone read, wrote, oh, it's it's just a ripoff of the Denzel Washington movie uh, uh, Fallen with a dash of the other movie Seven. And uh, it just it, it knocked all the joy out, you know. So wait a minute, uh, so 12 to 24 reviews that were basically positive. And this oh, yeah. one. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I would tell the, you know, the student. I tell them two things. One, yeah, it happens to everybody, you know, and that one is always going to, oh, my God, you know, or that one little bit of information or the one similar story. Well, I went back. I went, let's see if this guy is right. And I sat down and watched Denzel's movie, uh, Fallen. And if you haven't seen it, uh, you know, I... I recommend it. It's a good movie. You know, Denzel always does good, good work. Um, and I also watched Seven, and Seven is one of my... Oh, what a great movie. Um, the one thing I couldn't do is say, oh, yes. I mm-hmm. did rip, up, rip off these two movies. Because the uh, there's some um, Venn diagram overlapping, right, uh, of the three. But... Just in an an element of each, right? There are notes in Seven. There are notes in City of Woe. There is um, uh, in the Fallen. The, uh, there's a demon who jumps from body to body to body to body. Uh, in City of Woe, there may or may not be. I'm going to let you find out. Uh, uh, a demon that jumps from one body to the other. 
So, first I was like, what is this guy's problem? And then I was like, you know, you can interpret things any way you want. And the lesson I took away from it, and the lesson I would uh, offer to your student is that one, you know, opinions are like certain body parts. Everyone has one, you know, and... <laughs> diplomatically stated. Yeah, diplomatically stated. And the only thing that, the only defense you have is your own honesty. You look yourself in the eye in the mirror, you know, and uh, if you can... If you know in your heart that you didn't rip someone else off, you know that there's no new stories. There are no new stories. Nothing that's, new under that, the sun. That's where I was going to go to because the uh, only, uh, the last thing I would say is the only refuge that an artist has is what he or she brings to the story, and that's how it becomes new and fresh and worth, you know, people experiencing. So. You know, if he's true to himself or herself, that's, uh, you know, if it's similar you know, it, to something else, should be fine. It's it's funny because I said before we started recording, I was I was uh, talking to Chris and I said, you know, we don't we don't really fight. We don't really argue on this thing. It's not like we're always at opposite ends of a thing and we're just going at each other. And he just stole my life. No, <laughs> we you know, once again, because a lot of what Chris and I talk about are the experiences we've had. Uh, ourselves as writers and creatives, but also yeah. the information, lectures, st books we've read, interviews we've seen, all these things that other writers and creators have gone through. And we, mm -hmm. we, we assimilate that information because that's the world we're moving through. And yes, sometimes you get hit with that negative thing. Oh my God, I'm, maybe I'm not good enough, or my idea is not good enough, or, or you know, I, I may, this idea somebody else has done it, so what, there's nothing left for me to say. You, you go to those places because you're constantly calling on yourself to come up with something fresh. Uh, and what I will say, too, that ties in exactly to what you were saying is yeah, there's only seven plots in, in the universe, basically seven plots. As a matter of fact, I, I have somewhere in my files uh, a list of them. Um, I'll, I'll put together a little document and I'll, I'll leave it here for people if uh, you want so you can I'll pull do, it up. I'll do you one better. In my class, I teach that there's only two. Well, see, now he goes there, right? That's, uh, I forget the Russian author's name, but he said, um, you know, there's only two types of story. Hero goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town. <laughs> oh, you boil it down. Boil it down. <laughs> you know, so, I've heard so two, I've heard way, seven, I've something. heard 30, I've heard 36. Now, they're all variations. There's, 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 depending, again, on who you're talking to, listening to, what you're reading and all that, yes, because there's various people's interpretations of. But the bottom line is you've seen Romeo and Juliet reinterpreted a gazillion times. Mm -hmm. You know, you've seen it. You've seen a stranger comes to town to right a wrong or a stranger comes to town to do a wrong a gazillion times. You've seen it as Westerns and so forth. We did in uh, episode 84, we did a whole analysis of Avengers Endgame. And one of the things we pointed out, it's a war movie. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's any number of war films that you've seen. Take off the spandex and the superpowers, and you've got soldiers who've gone to war, lost friends, lost family, and they've had their butts kicked, and now they know they've got to stand up and take this thing on again. So ultimately, there are similar themes and many, many creators out there, and we're always going to be crossing each other's paths in some way, shape, or form. What I said to my, my uh, student 15 years ago, and what I will be talking about with my student this time around, is 
you know, there are similarities between the work he found, this young man years ago found, and the work that he'd been doing. Because, and here's where we get concrete now, folks, both of these young men, and I didn't even meet the other one, but in reading the material, you could tell, both of these young men were inspired by the same material that they had been just immersed in, and which was manga, and certain types of manga stories. They were devotees of, I knew the young man I was working with, definitely didn't come from, he was not from Japan or China or any of those places. He was a completely different culture. He would born and raised in another country, was growing up in New York City, and yet he was just knee deep, ankle deep, waist deep in, in anime and manga, <clears throat> which is fine. But it influenced the story he was trying to tell. And I suspect very strongly this other gentleman was also because their material was so similar, so similar. And so I said to my student, I said, what are you going to do? And he said, yeah, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to give up. And I mean, and I, you got to understand, this kid had com uh, composition notebooks full of writing, his script writing and drawings, pages and pages he had done. I, I, I affect people like that every now and then. Uh, he'd had just pages of, of work that he'd done. I said, so what, what do you mean you're going to just give up, just quit? He said, no, I, I can't do this. I, you know, obviously, I don't have any. He went through this whole big backslide. I said, well, hold on. I said, first off, quitting's not an option. I said, secondly, uh, here's what I believe is happening. And I talked to him about how they were both inspired by the same source material. And then I said, knowing what I know about you as a person and the little I know about your family and your culture and your history, I said, I see none of that in this story that you've created. Yeah. And he looked at me. I said, honestly, I said, where are you from? And he told me, I believe it was Bolivia. I said, where is the mythology of your culture? Where are any of the experiences you've had or your parents had or friends that you know from that region? Where's, where's that region in terms of the backdrop, you know, the, the geography and so forth? So I said, there's nothing of you here. I said, if you go back to you and then go back to your culture and these other elements, <clears throat> you might find the things that will make this story yours. Yeah. And that's what he did. And within a couple of weeks, <laughs> he came back and he had him, he had gone back. He talked to his parents about the mythology. He started hitting the library. And that story began to blossom into something that was far more him than the source material he originally had, had, had been inspired by. And I think that's something we need to remember in terms of the concrete, who we are, what we are, where we come from, our backgrounds, our experiences, and so forth. These all, and we've said this a thousand times, these all feed the artists that you are. And so don't ignore them or don't forget about them when you sit down to create. Well, I agree. I agree. And, you know, uh, the the Dracula story has been told, the vampire story has been told countless times. But if you look at the novel Dracula and you look at the Stephen King novel, mm -hmm. uh, Salem's Lot, and then yep. you look at the kind of the Midwest Western uh, film Near Dark and uh, Let the Right One In, all of them have some vampire tropes, but they're not the same story. No, they're not. You know, it's a, it, it becomes a, uh, 
social commentary and all that stuff. And you tie it to your, you know, your own times and all that sort of stuff. And you um, also, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's it, what your advice to him was, was exactly what I would have told him. You know, it's infusing with yourself is where the originality comes from. You know, there's a reason why this student and the other student wrote stuff that was very similar to whatever the, you know, source material was, is because that source material riveted them. Mm -hmm. You have stuff from your past that has riveted you and is still, I mean, I think, I don't think you'd be able to open up a blackjack book and say, see that page 87, that page, that's complete long ranger ripoff. But there's a heavily, heavy influence of that idea of uh, the wandering uh, avenging spirit, mm. you know, that is both in the service of justice for both characters, you know. Um, of course we have. That's why we did those episodes on Feed Your Head. Yes, you have to exactly all that. that. But, but then you mix it with your own you. life. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You have to. Episode 108. And yeah, Folks, I'm going to keep referring to some of our episodes because, dang, <laughs> we did some good stuff here. Uh, and what, we just want to tell you now that there's going to be an exam December 15th. So no. <laughs> get back on the line. Start, and start studying, studying, damn it. <laughs> yeah. 108 was when we talked to the goddess. Uh, folks mm-hmm. who are just joining us for the very first time, the goddess is a lovely lady who chose to marry Chris many, many years ago. Yeah, and God bless she's still God. there. She's paying off some kind of debt, but <laughs> <laughs> previous life, what did she do? Um, but you know, she talked about, and you interviewed her too. We talked about reading, you know, the type of stories, the genres, the the material, the fascination with how people tell stories, you know, and the different types of stories that are are out there to be told. And I think, you know, you mentioned the vampires one, which made me think about, you know, 108 anyway. Um, Interview with a vampire. You know, the approach there is a guy who bar hops is a reporter type bar hops looking for interesting people, picks up on this guy that he's going to be talking to. And the guy seems really fascinating, but bizarre in some way. And they go off and they sit down someplace and the guy begins to tell him his life story. It turns out the guy is a vampire. Mm. And that takes us into this flashback of how this all happened. Different approach from Salem's lot where mm-hmm. Stephen gets us totally immersed in this town and even some of the smaller supporting characters, their little bits of their lives. Okay. You know, it's like, it's almost like we're their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so when the bad starts happening, you can't get away from it because you kind of know these people and damn, no, not that one, you know? Well, and, and I, and I think that's one of the, uh, one of the great lessons of Stephen King, you know, besides, you know, him being uh, uh, disrespected for decades and then finally, you know, through just sheer will of continuing to write, people start saying he is an American st- storyteller of serious, uh, considerable weight, you know. Mm. Um, but the, one of the things that Stephen King does that um, many people have been influenced by is that he world builds mm-hmm. and he world builds in ways that we recognize. You know, the, the character will eat the cornflakes that we have in our cupboard, you know, or whatever. Or will be concerned or will be frustrated by his job or concerned about his marriage or, 
you know, love his daughter or whatever. Hate his neighbor. Or her. You know, whatever or, it or is, whatever, yeah. You know, whatever it is. And then, then the, the evil comes or the weirdness or the sci-fi comes and you can't help but think, how would I deal with it? Because you recognize those people as, as similar to you and your people, you know, whoever, mm-hmm. whoever that is. One of the great things about Stephen King is that um, he doesn't write particularly with a, um, a, a skin tone. I mean, you recognize him as a Caucasian writer, sure, definitely. But anyone's allowed in, you know? And the same thing with, with this guy. Uh, you're, you're, you're a student. You know, he may not be maybe obsessed with anime, but he may not be Japanese. Mm-hmm. But you know, a, uh, a an application of anime tropes set in Iowa or whatever the hell he comes from. You said Bolivia, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's That's, just next it, door it, to, to Iowa, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> just I think it's two tolls, two tolls, right. and you're there. Yeah, two tolls, um, right, right, and a tank of but gas. But I mean, good. but but I think I wanted to say Iowa because think of what that brings up in your mind, and then think of Bolivia and what that mm-hmm. brings up in your mind, mm-hmm. and infusing either locations into anime tropes, you have a completely fresh story. Yeah, you know. The Unless approach. it's going page by page, you know, the same way, I don't know, Ghost in the Machine or, you know, I'm not really uh, uh, the guy to talk to about anime. But, you know, if it was going page by page exactly as some other story and people could point to that, well, then that's a problem. But if it's yeah. got the tropes, well, you know, but again, we all, tropes, we all tropes swing on the tropes and <laughs> we all swing on them. Yeah. <laughs> tropes are familiar. But no, I think I think, again, you're you know, you look at. At yourself, as a creative, you look at yourself first. Where am I coming from? What am I trying to say? Uh, what is this story about? Who are these characters? And you build all of that. Now, if the seasoning or the location or whatever is familiar, is a familiar area, a familiar trope, a familiar backdrop, a familiar uh, crime or whatever, okay, fine. That's what it is. But what do you have to say with it? Where are you coming from with this? What's the message? What's happening here? How do you set us up? Like I said, you know, one, you meet a vampire in a nightclub and you're interviewing him. Another situation, you're in a small New England town and you're getting to know all your neighbors there and suddenly, boom, bad stuff starts to happen. Or you're a real estate agent who gets sent from London to some European country to talk to some duke who's got a great castle, wants to buy some property in London. And the next thing you know, you got vampires coming at you and you can't get out and go home. So, I mean, there's all these different approaches to how to tell a story, how to start a story, where to move it. The, the similarities are you've got, you've got a hero on, on a journey of some sort, you've got conflict and tension, you've got some journey to move through from point A to the end, and hopefully, hopefully you have an ending that impacts on your audience, whether it's a happy ending or not. You know, these are the basics. Everything else is what's going into the stew and how long True. are you doing it? I'm looking up the title of a film. I want to give you an example if I can just. Um, all right, so there's a movie called Train to Busan, right? Mm-hmm. It's a Korean movie, and 
all the characters are introduced on a train. The train is like express to Busan. Mm-hmm. And there's zombies on the train. Come on, you're in, right? You're in, you're in. It's a zombie movie on a train. Yeah. Let's go. And then that Z Nation with zombies on a plane. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah same you know, airlines so, that had those snakes too. But that's right. Yeah. Uh, those, <laughs> I love uh, um, snakes on a plane. The my favorite version of that movie is the movie is the one that they overdubbed for commercial television. So they took all those poor Sam Samuel L. Jackson's curses just out, masterful curses out, and and they're like, I'm sick of those Monday to Friday snakes. <laughs> Monday to Friday snakes. <laughs> oh, so my point. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. That is my uh, my point with Train to Busan is uh, you took the you know the tropes almost almost tired tropes now. I think we're coming to the end of uh, of the zombie uh, era. Of, mm. of storytelling, I think we're kind of saturated. Um, matter of fact, I have a zombie comedy. If I just finish the the sound on it, yes, that movie will be on uh, YouTube, terrorizing the neighborhood in uh, no uncertain terms. <laughs> it's a comedy, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but it kind of spoofs on all that sort of stuff. And and um, the, the train to Busan. The uh, the the one the zombie plane or whatever it was called. Oh, Z Nation. Uh, you know, Z Nation. Um, uh, World War Z. Yeah. Walking Dead. You can't look at those side by side and say they're the same exact as Night of the Walk, uh, Living Dead. They, you know. No. The genre, sure. Dead, some of the tropes, dead. yes. Yeah. But then the rest is what are they saying? You know. Yeah. And the best of them make a, a social commentary so your guy reach, reaching listening to you one that's fantastic you know and that he started doing a research even better but the lesson that he's offering uh, all listeners there is to be open to that and you it, it's so important not to miscategorize a situation like this mm-hmm it's not a mistake. One of the great things, one of the great secrets about writers and artists is we creatives, we don't make mistakes. We make opportunities for rewrite. You know, <laughs> that's what they are. And, oh, oh it's, gosh, it's not working. All I'm right, so I'm good. good to you know, Neil Simon would, you know, he would get a play up and, and someone, you know, a couple of people who were investors and stuff would say, we have problems with this, that, and the other, or the directors. And his answer was always like, I could fix that. Hold on. And he'd run to the typewriter, right? That's the attitude to take, yeah. you know? And it's so great because every one of us, every one of uh, the creatives that are listening or participating in this, they know exactly where that guy's head was at. Well, guy or girl, I don't know. I don't want to be sexist. Um, that, oh, I can't do this. I suck. I'm not original. I, don't, I, I can't write. I can't create. Yes, we all go through that. We're all like, holy shit, this sucks. I, I'm always pacing around the house, especially when the goddess, and this is one of the reasons she's called the goddess, is she reads all my stuff when it's not ready yet. God bless her. That is just evil of me. Um, <laughs> but I always walk around and say, it sucks, right? It sucks. And she think, you know, she's like, at this point, it's a running joke between us. But it is part of that creative psyche. It's like, ah, oh, I can't do this. Every one of us. 
even up to like Stephen King, even up to, you know, um, I'm listening, uh, listening to reading and listening to the music of as, as I go through this experience, uh, this group called the Beastie Boys, ah. uh, they put out a book called Beastie Boys book, which was, you know, one of them died. The other two, you know, after a period of mourning are, are recounting and, the book is heavy photos and and short chapters written by either one of them and occasionally someone else like uh, Colson Whitehead wrote one, you know, mm. that kind of stuff. And it's very much about that time in New York and that that era as they went through. And it's definitely about kind of wandering in the dark as a creative. These guys repeatedly admit they had no idea how to do things and then went ahead and did them, you know mm -hmm. and love them hate them who did that make a difference the the watch the uh the tracking of evolution of creativity for these three individuals has been fascinating and um i'm reading the book but the audio book was available through the library so i'm listening to that they have a cast of about 40 different people celebrities and all that reading the different sections so you get that little different tone mm -hmm. you get the photos in the book and and the original text you get that different tone and then uh as they went through their evolution like they were hardcore kind of punk people so they mentioned a bunch of artists so i'm on my amazon play i i put a playlist together of those and listen to what that was like and then they they stumbled across hip-hop because you know they were downtown kids and didn't know enough to go up to the bronx or well you know so the one they started bringing some of the bronx bronx uh, acts down it it was the lightning bolt it was the shazam lightning bolt for them right and their three white uh, white jewish kids of of considerable privilege um just in love with all this stuff and it doesn't seem to strike them that being white will change the game, you know. But Russell Simmons, oh, it definitely strikes him, and he knows that he's gonna, you know, push this band to promote to help crack, run DMC, and you know, and his and and all that stuff happens. But they continue to grow and. They underage. They used to go to dance Ontario. There was a list of that. The hip hop. There was a list of those. I'm listening to all this stuff and opening a lot of the club stuff. I didn't know a lot of the Earl. I mean, I knew about 40% of the list of the hip hop that is, you know. And then they started getting into jazz and all these different things. And it's a fascinating multi-platform experience, you know, to just explore everything. What's I have the name no of the idea. Book again? It's called Beastie Boy Book. Beastie Boy Book, okay. Or Beastie Boys Book, yeah. Um, when you look at the cover, you think the name of the book is Pizza, because there's a, there's the three of them are standing in front of a pizzeria, and the the uh, across the top where the title of the book usually is is the pizza sign, right? Um, but then it's the the corner thing stuff, and um, it's been a great exercise in seeing other people, creative people mixing and matching and being open like they discovered boogaloo at one point um and and they couldn't get enough of it and they name drop name drop you take the listen to some of that music and you just enrich that's the same thing as going into your own life 
you know, for example, this guy from Bolivia and pulling his own roots and pulling the mythology and, and listening to the parents and what stories they might say and letting that kind of coalesce and digest in there and uh, give your contribution to this anime style that he's so inspired by. That's, and, I mean, it's got to be that way. And it's the same thing, too. And again, people, if, if you're thinking, how did they go from talking about writing books to bands? But because we can. Uh, and because, again, we're talking about the creative <laughs> process, too. Um, and I will I will match your musicians with with one of mine, which is Eric Clapton. Oh, yes. you know, cream, you know, and, and Ginger Baker on, on drums and, you know, all this rock, rock, rock. And Eric Clapton playing guitar. And then Clapton didn't stop there. That was a yeah. period in his life. And even as he went solo, he didn't stop there. Okay, this is my sound. This is where I'm going to stay. He continued to grow. And the thing that sticks in my mind, again, talking about creatives yeah. being open to absorbing, seeing the world, absorbing it and learning and, and growing from it, is Clapton was being interviewed by, and I may have told this story on this, this series before, uh, he was being interviewed by an early MTV host. This right. is when MTV was still kind of new in the game. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the host, I understand, was gushing, because it's Eric Clapton, man, it's really cool. And Clapton mentions that one of the things he loves to do is when he's down in New Orleans, you know, doing a concert or whatever, when the show's over and everything, he himself will go to some of the little clubs, the little places, yeah. little, little areas downstairs in the back room or whatever, and listen to the musicians. And he says, and Clapton's you know, is telling this, and finally he says, and sometimes I'll ask them if I can, if I can sit in. And the host goes crazy and he goes, you ask them if you can sit in? Damn, you're Eric Clapton, man. They should be honored not, that you're going to join Not to them. them. And Clapton <laughs> goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He says, I'm a musician. We learn from each yeah. other. And I'm listening to the riffs and things they're doing. And I'm trying to do some of these things. And I'm learning and I'm growing. And, you know, from that point on, I mean, I, I liked some of Clapton stuff. Right. But from that point on, I had a whole nother respect for him. Plus, he was saying something I had heard professional actors say and sure. professional writers say. And it is, you know, it's, it's for me as an actor, my time in, in, in that range was, you know, I would sometimes hang out with a bunch of actors. We do a show, we go out someplace or whatever. And they would start, not all, but some of them would start, you know, ranking on this person who's waiting the tables or this person is doing that. You know, they don't know. And I'm saying, how do you reflect life? That's what actors do. Yeah. How do you reflect life if you're if you're pissing on it, mm -hmm. if you're ignoring it, if you're you know, if, if all you you consider is worth your while is acting, then all you're doing when you're on stage is acting. You're not recreating these characters. You're not really telling that story or these stories. Yeah. You're you're just acting. You know, you're just standing on there saying words and posturing. And I think, you know, again, with with anime, with music, with dance. Yeah. You know, with any of these things, the creator creates original material or original arrangements or whatever based on what he or she has experienced and how they feel and how they see and hear the material. Right. And that's that's something you stay open to. Well, I I'd also before we, just before you, I, I know you have something to say that and I'll, I'll stop in a moment. But I just want to say also I, I want to. Um, hit on a couple of more uh, specific things that people can do as we move forward. So I'm okay. just going to jump on that the moment you finish what you're going to say. Well, I just wanted to add about the Clapton thing. The other element uh, that we are trying to drive this student to and other creatives is that 
throughout uh, throughout his creative life, Eric Clapton, as most successful creative artists do, he drew upon the pain of his life. Mm-hmm. You know, he grew mm-hmm. up. It, and and Eric, don't come beat me up if I got the the facts of your life wrong. But, um, as I understand it, uh, he grew up and eventually found out that this bigger sister that he thought he had was actually his mother. And uh, his grandparents were being raising him as parents, and he it was all confusing. And at the, just about that time, um, he got a guitar and heard Robert Johnson and kind of locked himself away in, you know, the, the, the myth is he locked himself away in the bedroom and just played his and came out and guitar player. Right. But you mm. know, that doesn't really happen that way. Um, but it was the blues that were talking to him and his whole life, he has continued to express that, you know, Mm. The different the different pains, you know, when when he was heartbroken, uh, Derek and the Dominoes, Layla was created, you know, or he was yearning for actually George Harrison's wife at the time. Um, when his when his son tragically died, oh, okay. out came yeah. te- tears from heaven. And right. and it's that thing, you know, and to come back to the Beastie Boys, they talk about how inauthentic their first couple of things were because they were trying to be that thing mm-hmm. and they hadn't discovered how to be their thing yet you know and when they did you know it kicked over and i think this is the experience you're giving to this particular student you know go and find who you are and add that to uh the the pantheon of uh stories that are being offered you know which is different so. from the pantry. Uh, well, you can do the pantry of stories, but you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you got to make sure higher those boxes there. are closed, or you yeah. get some stale stories. You know, there's um, one of our episodes we talked about. You know, how creators exist. I think it was uh, episode ninety. Uh, how creators exist in two different worlds. Yes, yeah, the classic episode ninety. Yeah, oh, yeah. it was a classic, and because we knew we were <laughs> ten episodes away from one hundred, right. we got to get this good. You know? But um, it is, you know, it is another thing, too, how that can represent two things, that particular phrase about how we exist in, in more than one world. There's there's that period of time when we're we're trying to come up with a story or we're trying to come up with an element or a plot or something that is, seems to be eluding us, eluding us more than we would like. And so we're we're doing our day to day, whatever that may be, school, job, work, you know, mm-hmm. um, family. But then every chance we get, our, our, we either consciously try to go and solve this problem, this creative problem, or the problem sort of pulls us, you know, away. We should be sitting there having dinner with the family and everything, and we're actually thinking about in scene 17, mm-hmm. uh, maybe if I say, you know, <laughs> and people can get ticked at you at that. But you know, you said to me two years ago when I was I was taking my first vacation in like eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. And it was a part of me that felt guilty about it. And you said, Alex, doesn't matter where you are. You're, everything you see, everything you hear, you're going to be filtering it through the writer in your head. You're going to be doing research. You're going to be gathering information that you're eventually going to use. And I, I completely, like, and again, folks, you know, it's only two years ago. So I've been writing for a long time. I completely forgot that because I got caught up in, the, in my real world mindset at that time. And thinking, no, I should be working and trying to get through this uh, this story. Then blah 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 blah. But I'm tired. I'm exhausted. 
I'm, I'm almost burned out from everything else that I'm doing. And so real life does affect us. And sometimes it does beat us down or it does give us so many distractions that we're split. We're not totally focused either way. And, and it makes us feel like, you know, we can't do it. Like we, yeah. we, maybe we're not good enough. Maybe we don't have enough of this or enough of that. And, and, and that's something I would, you have to learn to deal with. Isaac, I'm, I'm going to let you start, Chris. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, would, I would point out that um, in being in touch with you while you were uh, over in Europe and over on this vacation, um, it was easily me- measurable how much inspiration you were gathering mm. and how that trip was feeding your creative spirit. It yeah, is, well, you yeah. know, yeah. sure, but some people feel weird about the muse. It's just, you know, it's your creative energy, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. But um, once you set aside as much as you could uh, the guilt and opened up to the experience, well, then you were dressing up and taking pictures and enjoying the cruise aspects and then just absolutely marveling at the different places just opening up to new material, new uh, life. And and this kid, you know, uh, kid, he's an adult, I'm sure, she's an adult, um, who now got redirected to his or her own roots. If you open up, you're gonna, it's going to be a whole new world. And I keep seeing it. We see it with uh, Clapton. I was experiencing it now watching the BC Boys stuff go through or reading it through. I know it in my own life. Um, in, in the story you're telling about this student, this uh, class, or this episode, I see so often that experience where, you, you know, it's almost, it's almost the experience of pregnancy where you're, you know, you got the idea and it, you engage with it and it starts to grow and all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, as with as we do with our own children, you start worrying, are they going to be OK? Is it this? Is that? And, you know, the least little misstep, you're going to torture yourself that you're a terrible parent or this or that. No, we're, we're all human beings. And uh, the creative process, the more you accept those human elements and the elements that brought you to want to write that story, paint that picture, act on that stage. The more you bring that in and, and allow it through, the more, you know, the more true, the more um, authentic the story becomes. Even if it's a sci-fi, even if it's an anime, even if it's, you know, those, we know the real truth about all those genres is that they're about the human condition. And and we've also talked about, you know, trying to be, being not only honest with yourself as a writer or as a creator, but also being honest and genuine and committed to your characters coming across legitimate. Um, one of my favorite references to that is, a, is actually um, a director, uh, actor, uh, uh, efforts in a particular film that he starred in, but it's, it's Clint Eastwood. Um, I still to this day, I mean, I, I don't remember when Gran Torino came out, but it's obviously several years ago. But to this day, I still refer to that film because here's Clint, who's had this long career from back in the 60s 
you know, starting off in television and coming forward from the 60s into actually possibly early 60s, you know, through just just as an actor initially, the spaghetti western somewhere around the 70s, 80s, right? Uh, you know, a Dirty Harry, and, and it's just kept growing and growing and growing, and eventually, you know, directing more and all of these things. There comes a point where some celebrities, not Clint, but some celebrities. As they get older, because, you know, the other option is dying young, as they get older, they have trouble letting go of the roles that they played that led up to the success. You know, they don't embrace the, the new chapter in their life as easily. And one of the things I loved about Gran Torino is, now again, Clint's starring in it. He's the lead character, and he's directing it. So he's got a lot of control here. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of control. He can take this in the direction he wants to. And I'll just simply say this, because I don't want to give away anything to people who haven't seen the film. But he plays this old old man who's in, uh, you know, had been in the Korean War and blah, 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 blah. And he's a curmudgeon. He's, uh, he's crotchety. He's got a lot of issues. Uh, a little bit of racist, too. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say a little bit at all. Uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. The Clint Eastwood we know from the westerns and some and Dirty Harry, you know, basically solved a lot of his problems by kicking butt and shooting people down and you know walk away cool at the end. And in this character, as he deals with the issues that come up in this film, you very easily could have expected him to make sure he comes out of this as the that same sort of heroic character at the end, doing some of the very same things that I've seen other celebrities do with their films. And the thing that I respect him for is not only a great film, really good directing and all that, good acting, but he remained committed to the genuine story, to the genuine elements of the character. He remained true to that character's nature and true to what that story was trying to say and where those characters were if they were in real life. You know, everything rang true. And that was the thing that I respect. And I think as as writers, going back to calling on who you are, what you've seen, your experiences. Yeah, you can do research, absolutely. But don't forget who you are. Don't forget where you come from. Don't forget how you feel. And be true to your character and true to your story. And you will write that story as well as you possibly can write it. And that's also where you discover your voice. And that's that's also key as you grow and as you develop. I mean, there are people I know that write different types of stories. They can do different genres, and all, but there's always a little something that said, "Yeah, that was written by so and so." You know, yeah. I was I, I was just listening to uh, Jerry Jenkins, who's a writer who's, my goodness, I think he's written over 190 books. About two thirds of them are fiction, and a third of them are nonfiction. And there's certain things about his fiction that, yeah, you you can kind of tell that's 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 Jenkins' work there. But the fact is, he still goes through some of the same things. He was saying this. He goes through some of the same fears, same mm-hmm. confusions that we're talking about now that some of the new writers do, some of the seasoned writers do. You know, and probably Stephen King does, too. And Stephen King, you talk about this from time to time. Stephen King is, as I'm told, is a pantser. You know, he writes from the seat of his pants. He, he just sets up the situation and goes at it. I... I like to do that after I've set up enough of an outline that I know where I'm supposed to be going because I know I can go off on a tangent, sure. you know, be heading for Pluto and wind up in another galaxy somewhere else, have to find my way back. But either way, 
seasoned writers also know that you got, you got to write from the heart. You got to you know try and be genuine and committed to uh, telling the story and its own truth. Finding your voice, your style, keeping to a deadline. You know, giving yourself. You know, don't edit while writing. That's another one. Don't be the editor and the writer simultaneously. That doesn't work. It doesn't work for anybody. You know, maybe there's one or two out there, but basically it doesn't work. Get the story out. Go back. So to the, the, the young man 15 years ago, to this young person now, this young artist that I was mentioning at the beginning of the story, everything that we've said this episode, please take it to heart. You're not the first to go down this road. You won't be the last. And the road does have an end. It does mm -hmm. branch off into many other wonderful places you can go. You'll find yourself on the road again. It will do the same thing as long as you remember where you're coming from, what you're trying to say. And, and the last thing I'll say about this also is we go back to how many plots there are, whatever the number is, whether it's two or 32, you're gonna, you're gonna come up with something that someone has already written about. You know, they've already played with this theme a uh, hundred times or a thousand times. That's going to happen. Once again, what are you trying to say with this theme? What are you trying to get across? And if it's about something that you've experienced, how did you experience it? Because how you see something and how you deal with it, it's going to be very different than a thousand other people who may have written something about this before. Yeah. I I could rephrase all of that, but it's the same thing. Yeah. Trust yourself and, and just know that you're not alone in that pain and in that self-loathing. That's what makes us writers. Yeah. That's what makes us want to tell the damn story. And we will continue to do that. And that, America, is our episode today. <laughs> episode 112. In 112. There you and, go, now. And we kept dropping, by the way, we kept dropping episode numbers, folks. You know, go back and check out some of these, you know, 108, 98, 88. Uh, David Walker, which was 105. There's a number of great episodes that you know might speak to some of the things you're dealing with or wondering about. You know, tips that you might be looking for. So you know, um, Anchor is the host that keeps all of our episodes. You may be hearing us on iTunes or Spotify or any of seven others, but it's easy to get to the directory of our episodes and uh, check it out and we have a comment section below we have an email address below write to us tell us what you yeah. think tell us what you want to hear tell us your favorite recipe you know <laughs> tell us the challenges that you have with your creative and we'll talk to you about it. absolutely absolutely and and last week we had uh one of um uh one of the uh, people who had been listening to our show and also come to some of the events that we've been doing and he has now taken his project to he's on he's working on the third or fourth issue, you know, three issues yeah. up. He's working on the fourth issue. Plus, he's building out his line of books. He's going to actually add on a couple of other titles. Pretty so cool. as far as I'm concerned, folks, you know, there's more of you out there doing that. Let us know about it. And with that, I will say, as always, Chris, it's a great way to spend a Sunday. Glad you had that chance. It's my pleasure every Sunday. You got Thanks, it, brother. Take care. Give my best to everybody. And right back at you. Thank Peace. You. Peace, everybody.